morning. Let me greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We thank God for this morning as we come to him to, to worship him in the hearing of his word with a conviction that God speaks clearly in his word, that God still speaks and he is not silent. And our part is to open our hearts to him to ask that he will lead us by his Holy Spirit as his word guides us in true righteousness. Amen. Let's take this time and, 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 and remember that we, we have been working through Nehemiah. Um, we looked at chapter 1 where we see we see Nehemiah here concerned about what was happening in Jerusalem. He hears the news of the desolate state of, of Jerusalem, the, the broken walls, the, the people that are in trouble and shame. And he spends time in prayer and fasting, concerned. We see a heart that is truly concerned for God's people. Chapter 2, we see a servant's heart. Nehemiah makes a plan to speak to the king about going back to Jerusalem, and the king grants him his request. He goes back to Jerusalem with the king's um, having granted him his request. He asks for um, supplies, and the king gives him those supplies. And as he goes back to Jerusalem, he spends time, three days, inspecting the damage in Jerusalem, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem. And as he inspects the walls, he comes back and speaks to the people. And he speaks to the people, he encourages them, he reminds them that God is with them. He reminds them that let us rise and, and build. Now we come to chapter 3 this morning. In chapter 3, we see that they are now building. It's a chapter that is made up of a lot of names. Uh, these people that we, we can see that Nehemiah honors these people that, they, that were involved in the rebuilding of the wall. So Nehemiah chapter 3, I want us to see as we look at Nehemiah chapter 3, a united people. A united people. Nehemiah chapter 3, I'm going to read these verses in this chapter up until verse 32. Nehemiah chapter 3. Follow me as I read from God's word and we'll dive in together. Then Elishab, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built up, they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its, set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred, as far as the tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hasena built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, um, son of Hakoz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berakiah, 
son of Meshezabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Banah, repaired. And next to them, the Tekonite repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Joida, the son of Pesiah, and Meshulam, the son of Besodiah, repaired the gate of Yashana. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars, and next to them repaired Metaliah, the Gibonite, and Jadon, the Meronotite, the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah, the seed of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Uziel, the son of Haraya, goldsmith repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far, the broad, as, far as the broad wall. Next to them, Raphael, the son of Hur, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jediah, Jediah uh, the son of ha- uh, Harumah, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of uh, Hashabnir, repaired. Malkaijah, the son of Harim, Hashub, and Hashub, the son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section and the tower of the ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, ruler of the, the half district of Jerusalem, repaired, and he and his daughters. Hanun and the inhabitants of Zanoa repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts and its bars, and repaired the thousand cubits of the wall as far as the down gate. Malkajah, the son of Rahab, ruler of the district of Beth HaKerem, repaired the down gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And Hashulam, the son of Kola, Hose, uh, 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 ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah, of the king's garden, as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, ruler of the half-district of Beth-Zur, repaired to a, point of, to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool, as far as the house of the mighty man. After him, the Levites repaired, Rehum, the son of Bani, next to him, Hashabia, ruler of the half-district of Kela, repaired his district. After him, the brothers repaired, Bavai, the son of Henadad, the ruler of the half-district of Kelia. Next to him, Ezer, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite the ascent of the armory of the buttress. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. After him, Meremoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakoz, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. After him, the priest, the men of the surrounding area repaired. After them, Benjamin and Hashub repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, the son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. After him, Benuah, the son of Henadet, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress and to the corner. Pulal, the son of Uzai, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king at the court of the guard. After him, Pediah, the son of Parosh, and the temple servants living uh, on Ophir, repaired to a point opposite the water gate. On the east of the projecting tower, after him, the Turquoids repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ephel. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired. 
each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Emer, repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shekaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaf, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple, servants of the merchant opposite the master gate, and to the upper chamber of the corner. And between the upper chamber and the corner and the ship gate, the goldsmith and the merchant repaired. This is God's word. Amen. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, our hearts desire to hear from you. As we just sang, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my footpath. Use your word, O God, as a compass that leads us to your will, that leads us to reflecting your heart for your church reflecting your heart for us, O God. May you be glorified as we hear your word this morning. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, amen. A united people. When I was young, there was a story that was told over and over again. And the purpose of this story was to emphasize the importance of unity. The story is about a father who had four sons. These sons did not get along with each other. They were always fighting and causing their father heartache. He was concerned that if he died, while they were still divided, it would mean the end of this family. It would mean that they would be divided for the rest of their lives. They would never get along. One day he called his sons in order to teach them a lesson. He sent them to the bush to, to find sticks, each one of them to, to come with two sticks. And they all did that. Then he asked them, each of them, to break the first stick that they have. And they tried to break the first stick, and it was easy to break it. Those sticks broke. Then he asked them to bind the other sticks together, the four sticks together. They bound them together, and he asked them to each to try to break those sticks. And when they tried to break those sticks that were put together, they could not. The lesson that he wanted to bring across, that he wanted to teach them, was that, was you, my sons, are stronger together than when you are divided. That when you are united, you are stronger but when you are divided, it's easy for you to be destroyed. You see, a unity, a united people are able to accomplish more together than a people that are divided. Well, when people stand together in unity, they are able to accomplish much. What we see here in chapter 3 is, is, is a response to Nehemiah's call in chapter 2, verse 17, when he says, Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. When we see here the people responded, 
they responded to, to Nehemiah's call enthusiastically. But not only that, there was not just enthusiasm. Their enthusiasm was displayed tangibly in their involvement in the work. The, the, the success of the rebuilding of the wall owes to the fact that they were united. I want us to spend time in these verses looking at what God's word is saying to us as the church today. Let me admit something. This is not a chapter that one would normally spend their time in, right? In fact, oftentimes in our approach to the Bible, um, when we read the Bible, is that we, when we get to a chapter like this with a lot of names that we cannot pronounce, I mean, you've even heard me just uh, rambling around those names and trying to, get, oh, trying to finish this chapter while I was reading. What we do oftentimes, we skip this chapter to go to the meaty part, right? We, we skip the, the, the chapter that has a lot of names because it, it seems like these names have no, uh, uh, you know, nothing to teach us. It, it seems like chapters like these that have names are not so exciting. We find it tedious and uninspiring. We find it like a long list of names that we cannot pronounce. Yet I want you to see that even though this chapter is full of names, God has something to teach us as the church today. What I want us to see is a picture of what unity looks like. We, we, we see a clear picture of unity. First of all, we see that unity is self-effacing. Unity is self-effacing. To be self-effacing means to, it means not claiming attention to yourself. Uh, one thing that stands out here in these verses is that there is no sense of self-importance among these people that Nehemiah records here. The, the, the people seem to be working together with one purpose and one heart. They, they, they have one mind and they are working together. It is interesting that when you read this chapter, that Nehemiah points to us the different occupations that these people had. Let me just show you by observation. In, in verse 1, verse 17, verse 22, and verse 18, he mentions religious leaders. There were religious leaders, there were high priests, there were priests. And they were Levites. In verse 7, verse 9, 12, 15, 16, 17, and 18, he mentions governmental officials. These were ruling, uh, 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 the ruling class. The, these men were in charge of different districts around the places near Jerusalem. In verse 8, there is a perfumer. In verse 26, there are temple servants. In verse 29, there's a gatekeeper, people that are in charge of the security. In verse 32 and verse 31, there are goldsmiths and merchants, business people. Now, now the question is, why take pains at mentioning the occupations of each and every one who was involved in the rebuilding? Why does Nehemiah do that, you ask yourself? I believe what Nehemiah wants to do here, what, what, what he wants us to see, is that the, the, the unity of these people was greater than who they were socially. 
it, it was greater than who they were socially. Notice especially verse 14. Malchijah, it says, Malchijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakerem, repaired the dung gate. He, he, he rebuilt it and set its doors, its bold and its bars. Other versions talk about the refuse gate. It was in the south of the city, a place where people brought all their trash to burn. It was a place full of rubbish and, and filth. Yet here is a ruling official. Here is a, is, a, is a governmental official who is not complaining that he should be at the valley gate or at the water gate where it's more comfortable to a man of his status. He, he is not worried about the kind of status he possesses in the community. He is worried about the work being done. In fact, it is very uh, uh, interesting that in verse 14, it mentions Malkijah was repairing at the down gate, but verse 13 mentions another man whom Nehemiah doesn't even, 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 even give us his occupation. This man is at the valley gate, Hanun. Nehemiah does Malkijah does not look at Hanun and say, I should be at the valley gate and you should be at the down gate. Right? The, the, you, you can see that this unity is not a unity that is com, com, concerned with who they are socially. They are not caring about their titles, but they are together. No one looked at their position and thought, I'm too important for this. I, I cannot be doing this. The, the importance of the work that they were involved in eclipsed the importance of who they were socially. The, the, the phrase that repeats itself over and over again, you will notice in this chapter, is next to him or next to them. That, that there was a united front in, in the work that they were doing. They were all doing the work. Nobody was caring about who I am. Nobody was caring about the kind of education that they had or the kind of title, the job title that they had. Nobody said, I'm a minister of education. Why should I be doing this? Nobody said, I I I'm this important figure in the community. Why should I be doing this? But all of them had their hand to the work. Next to him, next to them. It's a phrase that shows that there was interdependence and partnership among everyone. You see, one of the, the, the most beautiful and puzzling things about the church to the watching world is how people that are so different in terms of their backgrounds, in terms of their cultures, in terms of their socioeconomic status can be so united. It, it is strange to the world that it is, it is a strange thing to the world because the, the world separates people based on the kind of education they have. It separates people based on the kind of car they drive. It, it separates people by, based on the culture they are from or, or what nationality they are from and so on and so forth. The world has many categories, right? But we see something different in the church. 
We see people that are considered by the world of a high social class with people that are considered by the world of a low social class coming together and being one. You see, for a person who is transformed by the gospel, what they should see as the most important thing about themselves is not the kind of job that they have. I'm really concerned about churches that give a high uh, uh, status to people who have a, a, a high social class, right? They even use those titles in the church. I, I know uh, someone who is an advocate, and, 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 and not that I, I, I'm not saying that they should not respect those possessions positions but they are not positions in the church right uh, in fact the, the 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 title that the bible uses the most um in ref, in reference to 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 christians regardless of their social class regardless of their culture regardless of their background regardless of their nationality is the word brothers right brothers and sisters the word adolfoi let me explain that word it's a Greek word that is made up of two words, right? It is a compound word. The word means um, literally taken from the same womb. We, we, we recognize together that when we come together, we are, we are taken from the same womb. We are, our identity is in the fact that we are born in Christ. It is in the fact that we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Not because I'm a teacher and you're a teacher, then we can hang out together. Right? Not because you are an advocate and so you, you must be given a, 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 a high position in the church. It is not because of that. It is because we are in Christ that makes us important. Remember the, 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 one of the problems in the book of James was how they, they treated people with partiality. James, in chapter 2, verse 1 to 7, talks about the two men that come into the church. He says, one person comes wearing a gold ring and fine clothing who comes into the assembly. And next to him, as he enters, after him comes a poor man in shabby clothing. He is not attractive at all. He's probably a bit smelly. He's wearing clothes that um, he's probably worn for 10 years. And as they come inside the, the assembly of God's people, what happens is that the church pays attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say to him, you sit in a good place. And to the one who is wearing shabby clothes, they say to him, you sit over here next to my footstool. They, 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 they treat these people with partiality. But, 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 but what we see and what we should know about ourselves as Christians is that we must not find value in, in, in what we are according to society. We, we, we must not find value in how much we have in our bank accounts. 
right? Our value in the, is in the fact that we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Our value is in the fact that we are in Christ. And we see clearly this picture here in Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah talks about different people from different classes and different possessions. Positions. These people were united. They had a self-effacing attitude that is marked by Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There was an eagerness because they did not care about who they were. They cared about the work at hand. But it is not all encouraging what we see here in Nehemiah. You see, an enemy of unity is self-focus. It is focusing on yourself. Uh, that is why Paul exhorts the church in Philippi in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse uh, 3 and 4, saying to them, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Right? He's saying do not focus so much on yourself, but focus on serving others. Do not focus on serving, serving your own self-interest, but seek to serve others. We see here in this chapter that though people were united, there were others who chose not to be part of this unity. There were others who chose to step aside. Verse 7 tells us, it says, And next to them, the Tokoyanites repaired. Listen to this. But their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Well, when people were busying themselves with the work, there were others who looked down on the work. There were others who sneered, who, 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 who were condescending. The phrase that is used here, would not stoop to serve, suggests that it was pride rather than laziness which kept them from the work. It is agricultural imagery describing a stiff-necked ox refusing to be yoked. They were stiff-necked. They were prideful. They did not want to be part of this. They saw it as something that was below them. You see, brothers and sisters, pride is a barrier to unity. Nothing destroys unity like pride. It inflates our self-importance and, 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 and holiness becomes impossible. Unity becomes impossible. Honoring God becomes impossible. When pride sets in, what happens is that instead of people um, 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 having one purpose and one focus, they start to have different purpose they start to have a diff divided focus. And there's no way, brothers and sisters, 
there is no way that we can honor God in a divided community. You see, a divided community, a people that are centered on themselves, a people that care for their own interest, cannot care for the interest of God's kingdom. In fact, what happens oftentimes, they use even the things of God, the things that are meant to glorify God, to, 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 to pump up themselves. They use the things that are meant to serve the purpose of the gospel to seek a name for themselves. To be the center of attention. To be the ones that are, are honored most. Pride brings division in the church. Consider what you just heard. Allow me to ask you personally, are you for the progress of God's work in Rustenburg? How is this practically seen in your life? How is this seen personally in your life? How is your involvement in this local church? Is it the kind of involvement that is characterized by commitment, commitment in your attendance, commitment in your giving, commitment in your building relationships. Is it characterized by commitment, but by seeking the good of others, but by seeking to see Christ formed in your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Or is it the kind of involvement that is marked by apathy and lacks concern for others about how things are going in their lives? The, the kind of involvement that is non-committal. For you, coming and not coming is the same. For you, being committed to the local church in your finances and not being committed in your finances is the same. What is your hope for Central Baptist Church? What is your hope for this local church? When you sit down with your family for your family devotions in prayer and the word, assuming that you are having time with your family in prayer and the word, what are the things that you mostly pray about when you think about the church? What is your deep concern when you sit down to pray for this local church? Or maybe the better question is, do you pray at all for the church? Have you prayed this week for the local church? Do you pray that God would use this local church as a light to this community, a light that points to Christ? Do you pray that in the midst of this diversity that we have here, there would be gospel unity? Does your heart break when you see conflict? 
Or do you want to be on the side of those you love? Is it the opposite? Do you spend time complaining about things that you don't like? Things that you wish could improve? Is your time spent in thought about the church, about the local church, a time spent in seeking God to be displayed, a time spent in seeking uh, 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 God to grow his people, or a time spent in complaining? What is your hope for this local church? I think we can ask the same thing for the Israelites here, for the Jews. What is your hope for Jerusalem? What is your hope for Jerusalem? What we see here, what Nehemiah tells us, is that they wanted Jerusalem to be a city with honor again. That they wanted Jerusalem to be a city that is not looked at with shame. Remember the cry of, of Nehemiah when he caused them to rebuild in verse 17 of chapter 2. Listen to, to what he says. He says, let us re rebuild, let us build the wall of Jerusalem. Listen to this, that we may no longer suffer derision. That we may no longer suffer shame. But the, the priority in this unity that they had was the glory of God. Because the rebuilding of the city, the rebuilding of the walls, would mean that God's city is restored. And the witness of the presence of God in, the, in, 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 in that area would continue. Now, what was the hope? Remember when we started the series, we spoke about how they had a, 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 there was a restoration of the messianic hope. They, they, they were thinking about God's promise of the Messiah. And God's promise of the Messiah was to come out of Judah. Right? And so they acted out of that promise that God would bring a savior. Now as a church, we have a savior. Our building is not so much a building of the walls. God has called us as a church to go and make disciples. Our building is the building of telling people about Christ with the hope that God would reach out to them and draw them to himself and make them his people as they look to Christ. How are you involved in that building? Are you even involved at all? How many people have you met this week? 
How many people have you encountered this week? How many have you told about Christ? A lot of times people wait for the church to have a program on evangelism. So we call you and say, come together. Let's go evangelize the city. I hope that we will do that as a church. But are you doing that in your personal capacity? Are you, are you going out there? Do people that you encounter know about the Christ you claim to be your Lord? That the people that you encounter, do they know that you are in Christ? We see a unity that is clear here. But I want to show you, in conclusion, that a true unity reflects the heart of Christ. Reflects the desire of Christ for his church. When Christ prayed the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, one of the things that he prayed for in regards to his disciples that were there and future disciples, meaning the church even today. That the heart of Christ for his church is displayed in his prayer. Listen to chapter 17 of John verse 11. He says, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, talking to the Father. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, listen to this, that they may be one. Even as we are one. Verse 22 and verse 23. The glory you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as you, and loved them even as you have loved me. Do, do you see what occupies the prayer of Christ for his people? That they may be one that they may be perfectly one. When Christ says, I will build my church, he, he desires that the people that are in his church will be one. But here's an amazing thing. When Jesus Christ prays, there is Judas among his disciples, not Judas Iscariot, but Judas the Zealot. And there's also Matthew, the text collector. Now, let me, let me give you a context of, of, of the, the importance of this prayer. The text collectors were considered the scum of the earth in that time. Remember when Jesus Christ would hang out with, with text collectors? They would say he's hanging out with sinners. 
right? They considered them as the scum of the earth because they worked for the Roman government, which was the enemy government of Israel. They would tax them on behalf of Rome and tax them again for themselves to make themselves rich. So they were considered the scum of the earth. Now, on the other hand, was Judas, the zealot. The zealot loved Israel with all their hearts. They were ready to kill for Israel. These were the political extremists. In fact, they would wear clothes that were long, and on the end of the, 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 the clothes, they would have a knife, a small knife. And in the crowd, as, they, 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 as the people are in the crowd, there would be Roman soldiers. And you, you remember that the, the Roman soldiers are described as having to wear a breastplate, right? The breastplate protected everything, but it also had left an opening at the back. And what they would do, the, a zealot would remove that knife and go to that Roman soldier and stick the knife on the back. And the soldier would die by himself. They were extreme. I know you might have parallels in your minds about the political extreme of our day. Yes, I'm not going to say yes, they were like that. They were even worse. They were ready to kill for Israel. Now Jesus Christ prays that they may be one. He's talking about a political extreme person. And someone that the zealots hated the most. And he's bringing them together. He's saving them. And he's calling them to be one. Imagine the unity that Christ is calling us to. It's a unity that is not based on our political affiliations. It's a unity that is not based on the fact that you, you, you support pirates or chips, even if pirates lost yesterday. It's, it's, it's a unity that is based in the fact that we have been saved by grace through faith. This is true unity that God is calling us to. Are you seeking this kind of unity? Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we, we thank you that you speak to us through your word. We pray that as we hear your word, as we've heard your word, that our hearts will be transformed, that we will seek to be united with your people. We will seek to display Christ to each other, Christ to the watching world. May you be honored and glorified in every way. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen.